0: Welcome to We RYA, the Pocket Change Collective season. Joining our host Anna Borges today is Adam Eli, who is a community organizer and writer based in New York City. He's the founder of Voices 4, a non-violent direct action activist group committed to advancing global queer liberation and was included in Out Magazine's 100 Most Influential Queer People of 2018. His book, The New Queer Conscience
1: is out now. Hi, thank you so much for, for hopping on and chatting with me today.
0: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
1: I feel like I'm like welcoming you into my bedroom because I these these virtual recordings with, with the pandemic going on feel like very like weirdly intimate, you know? I'm like on, you know, just at my desk with my phone. So welcome to my little corner of Crown Heights. Where are you at today?
0: And welcome to my couch in Greenwich Village.
1: Amazing, amazing. How are you doing? I, I just always have to start with that because you know, everything going on.
0: I think that's a great question and I'll answer (laughs) it honestly. Um, So it is Wednesday, right? Um, Mm -hmm. It's Wednesday, which means we're six days from launching my first book ever. And I'm feeling okay today, but yesterday I definitely had like a down, sort of not so great day.
1: Mm, Absolutely, yeah, that's, I mean, at least, in the very least, we can answer, "How are you?" Honestly, now, or it's more socially acceptable to answer it. It's definitely—it must be a weird time to launch a book. I—I'm I, seeing a lot of talk about, like, I don't know. It's great that we have technology, but also it's probably not what you were hoping it would be, right?
0: For sh- absolutely and for sure, but and I'm privileged in so 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 many ways, and just like one of those privileges is that I happen to be pretty digitally on, you know, like um I definitely Penguin definitely like reached out to me um like when Penguin reached out to me about the book they like mentioned um my Instagram my digital presence so like I'm definitely a digital native so Mm -hmm. I feel like even within the privileged world of people launching books and within COVID I'm still privileged because I have I'm able to like do a lot of digital stuff
1: hmm Absolutely. Oh, I can't wait to dive into the digital space and social media. I have a lot I want to ask you about that. But before Ooh. we do, um, let's start broad strokes about, you know, A, your first, your first book, Congratulations. Um, it's your contribution to Penguin's Pocket Change Collective. And I'm kind of starting by asking everyone, like, how they started narrowing down how they were going to fit all of their big ideas into such a small package. Where did you start with that?
0: Uh, thank you so much. I really, really um, appreciate that. And I think that it was pretty clear from the get-go because my life thesis, the thesis of the activist group that I started, and what reads in my Instagram bio for the past, like, four years, is queer people anywhere are responsible for queer people everywhere. And so that was, like, always going to be my thesis, and that was what we talked about in our first, first meeting. And then I think we just sort of had to build it out from there. It was actually, it was my brilliant, brilliant editors um, idea for me to have, shout out Rachel, to have um, the book end with sort of 10 direct calls to action. That was yeah. their formatted suggestion. And I thought that was great.
1: I love that. Yeah, it was very, it felt very actionable because it's, I don't know, it's such a, it's, as is the whole theme of the, the Pocket Change Collective, but it's such a big idea, like, yes, we want to be there as queer people for other queer people, but what does that actually look like? Um, Uh So that I, I mean, I have so many questions about each of the, um, I guess we won't go down the whole (laughs) list, but each of each of the calls to action, I I would love to dive in, but I'd love to start with, um, I was talking to someone and they
0: were like, they were like, Can you tell me the 10 calls to action? I was like, no, but like I'm thrilled to like <laughs> give you a book. Like I can't like recite them to you, you know?
1: You don't know them, you don't know them by heart yet. Yeah, not.
0: I think that I could like if you gave me a pen and paper, I could definitely get them all down. But I was I was like on a Zoom call in front of like 20 people. I was I'm gonna like, I was like, Do you have like, I don't know, like 30 minutes for me to like talk you through it?
1: Right, because I mean, I do think they would make a very good poster. Like even out of context, they seem very, you know, they they make sense, you know. But obviously, adding the nuance of of following the rules with what that actually looks like. But you know, if you could if you could commit it to heart, I do think it'd be a nice thing to be able to rail off. You know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> maybe that'll yes, exactly. Maybe that'll be your your next um, pandemic project. Um, was there anything that you didn't get to cover that you that you wanted to?
0: From when I started writing the book till when it came out, of course, there was a big period of time. And um, something big that happened was I was attacked on the street because someone had someone was Jewish and realized that I was presenting as queer and Jewish. And so I think that that would have been a really interesting thing to incorporate. But by the time it had happened, it didn't make sense to do. Mm.
1: Well, first of all, I'm so sorry that you that you went through that um, and thanks, thanks for sharing, but it's it's tough with books, you know, you, they, they're kind of time capsules for, you know, who you were at the time that you were writing it. And so it's, it's you know, I think there are certain things that are, you know, okay that you can't include, you know, save it for your next book or wh- however you you choose to write about it.
0: I agree. And I think the idea of a time capsule is really interesting because, you know, in social media, La La Land, which is definitely my background <laughs> and where I'm coming from, things change so quickly. But a book reflects this very, very specific moment in time. And it reflects that moment forever in a way that a post doesn't always.
1: Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. And it's like you are constantly growing as a person. The world is constantly changing, um, which is another thing I loved about the book. You know, you make very clear when something is your personal opinion, or your definition, or your experience, and you you say more than once that you hope that these things change with time, and you know that, for example, your definition of queer may be outdated in however long, and I I really love that, that, I don't know, that kind of acknowledgement of that, because it's so true, especially within the queer space when things are constantly evolving.
0: Thank you so much. I really appreciate that, and I would, I remember when I was, like, younger, I would sit there, and I'd be like, how, you know, I try to envision, like, other identities that I couldn't formulate the words to. And so I just wanted to leave that space as open as humanly possible, because words change and I think that's good. Like we call this the LGBTQIAA movement because that's exactly what it is. It's a movement, it's not stagnant and it's meant to move and progress. And I wanted my book to reflect that.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, you had a, if I'm remembering correctly, you had a really great quote that was about how the plus is your favorite or the most important part. And I was like, yes, I love the plus.
0: Exactly. Absolutely. Because there are a lot of ways to be in the queer community and maybe I didn't get to all of them and that's totally okay.
1: Absolutely. You can, yeah. You make it um, very very clear when that's the case. And I, I was curious when you said that you that you hope one day your personal definition of queer will be outdated. I was curious if you had I don't know any sort of hope of what your new personal definition would become or how it would evolve.
0: So the original line for that was I hope that one day soon <laughs> by Ooh, okay. it will be yes, outdated soon. <laughs> because when we update language or you know as long as it's not hate speech when we update language it's to make things even more inclusive. And so Mm -hmm. I would imagine that right now there's someone who is feeling excluded by the queer community. And my hope and dream is that there's a way that we introduce new language and new structures to make them feel a part of. And I want to adapt those as quickly as possible. Like when it comes, I think a really good example of this is when it comes to the pride flag and how um, Mm. pride flags have been changed. Like Philly added the no justice, the Philly pride flag with the brown and black stripes. And then we added with the pink, sorry, with the trans triangle. And anytime there's an addition to the flag, I'm always like, yes, of course, bring it on. Like the flag is just a symbol of our community, which is ever evolving.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so I would, I would love to, to take a moment to listen to your personal definition of queer as you defined it in the book, because it, it spoke to me. And I, I love also how you leave room for other definitions and how you hope that your personal definition will change one day soon.
0: Many people have their own definition of what queer means and one is no more valid than another, but here is mine. Queer, different or other. If there are three blue chairs and one pink chair, the pink chair is queer. Queerness only exists in opposition to what's perceived as normal. When it comes to gender and sexuality, our society's normal is defined by one cisgender man and one cisgender woman who experience opposite-sex attraction and live comfortably in their gender roles. If you deviate from any part of that norm, welcome and pull up a seat. In my book, you are queer.
1: I really, I really loved that section. So I was like, yes, um, we all have different definitions, especially because, you know, I see um, people run into trouble with trying to define terms For the other people, you know, as as a bi woman, I see infighting all the time between bi and pan when I'm like, all of our definitions can be what we want them to be, whatever makes sense for us to identify. We shouldn't like I would never tell a pan person what pan means. And I don't like it when, you know, a pan person tells me what bi means, especially when they're enforcing like a binary. And I'm just like, let's all just embrace our own personal definitions as long as they're not exclusive of other people's.
0: Exactly. Like I am not here to set out a definition for the queer community because no one person can period ever That's just not how it works
1: absolutely exactly exactly and i i I love that i'm I'm seeing that more and more often and and, in big part because of conversations that i am able to witness on social media, you know, I've learned, I I come from Tumblr, I'm also kind of digital trash. And so I feel like (laughs) in in, in a large way, um, I I say that with love, you know, we love Tumblr. We love Tumblr. We also love the trashiness of Tumblr sometimes. Um, But I got so much of my queer education there, you know, like being able to be exposed to other queer people earlier than maybe I would have and like learn about other experiences. And I don't know, I just I, I love that. So I, First, do you have any personal stories of like your first queer internet friend or your first queer experience? Because I feel like we all have one.
0: That's such an interesting question. Um, and I'm not even sure because I do this thing now called URL to IRL, where I like become friends with someone online and then I meet them in person in real life. So like URL to IRL. And um,
1: I love that. I've never... I. I've met so many of my IRL friends on a URL first and I'm going to steal that immediately.
0: Yeah, absolutely please do. And the thing is <laughs> it's got to a point where like everyone I know is from the internet because I actually think that in some ways and in some cases who you are on the internet is more authentic like being com- becoming friends with someone because you met on the internet I think in some ways is more authentic than the friendships you make in real life because Often the friendships we make in real life, often not always, are circumstantial. Like you work together, your families were friends, you live down the street. Whereas on the internet, it like I go online because there are things in my world that I don't see that I need to be seeing, so I find them online. And so when people meet online, it's because the most authentic parts of them or the parts of themselves that they feel represent them, that they want to put out in the world, match. And so when you become friends with someone online, it's not necessarily becoming friends with who they are but who they want to be and I think that that enables both of you to grow into who you want to be together.
1: Oh I love that so much and I, I love that it's definitely becoming more I don't know, accepted that those are real friendships, even if you do never meet IRL. You know, I remember back in the day when I was on my my family computer, like really furtively, like meeting people on like fanfic.net or on, it wasn't even Tumblr at that point, whatever it is. And it was like a dirty secret. It was like only weirdos make, make their friends online. It's like, no, only people who haven't found their people make their friends online.
0: Absolutely. And I think, um, Jabou- you know, Jabuki Young Light, who I'm like totally obsessed with, Um, I think he's amazing and he tweeted um, during COVID he was like wow like being a queer closeted teenager in high school really prepared me to like exclusively have like romantic and interpersonal relationships secretly on the internet because like you know (laughs) queer people are good at the internet I don't know what to say
1: we are i was definitely thinking about that too i was kind of weirdly excited to try dating during the era of covid just because i was like i'm really good at you know establishing relationships and like putting personality first because i don't know a lot of people are like i don't know how to like be myself online and i'm like we trained for this this is our time okay
0: for sure (laughs) absolutely absolutely love that can i give you can i give everyone two dating or two things that i found about dating during quarantine that are really great
1: Oh, please. Yes.
0: (laughs) The first is that like, anytime there's a lull in the conversation, you can always just be like, wow, this is so crazy. You know, and just be like, (laughs) wow, like, can you believe it? Like, no, I can't. Like, this is so crazy. Cause it is true. Like it is like impossible to grasp. And the second thing is like on zoom dating, like if there's ever like an awkward moment, you can just sort of blame it on the computer. You can be like, like if they say something weird, you can be like, wait, what? Oh, sorry. Like this thing happened. Do you know what I mean?
1: Oh my God. I hadn't thought of that second one because meanwhile, on my end, I'm like, God, you can't like make an excuse to get off the phone because you don't have anywhere to go. You know what I mean? Like everyone knows you're stuck in your apartment, but I'll just be like, oh, sorry. My mom is FaceTiming me.
0: Um. For sure. Sometimes I'm like, oh, like what my internet's that? not working. I have to turn the video off
1: amazing i love it oh man sorry this is a dating podcast yeah this is a now dating Um, podcast (laughs) (laughs) okay we can we can circle back to the book um to completely change gears actually i meant to ask this earlier but i how did you first come up with the idea to draw you know on your jewish heritage as like a comparison point for the queer community and you know how frankly it seems like we could do a little better in supporting and showing up for one another
0: For sure. And I think that the answer is that I don't I'm not totally sure that I had a choice because growing up Mm. Jewish and I say in the book was like my Jewish identity in the way that I was raised was very, 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 very intense. And as I came out, the parallels were just impossible to miss. Like my big come to moment was when I found out about what was happening to queer people in Chechnya and you know, they were taking people off the streets. They were locking them in small, like encamped areas, torturing them, beating them, killing them and raping them and forcing them to turn on each other. And that sounded exactly like the Holocaust. And so my great grandparents fled Russia from the pogroms, which were state sanctioned violence against Jewish people. My mother in the 1970s was a Soviet Jewry movement activist, which was also government sanctioned violence against Jewish people behind behind the Iron Curtain. And then, one generation later, I'm sitting here watching government-sanctioned violence against queer people in the same part of the world. It just felt like, you know, this was like the moment I'd been waiting for in Hebrew school. The parallels were too clear to miss, you know? And then I read Angels in America, and it's like, sprayed out in front of you.
1: You have these kind of ten ten calls to action that I really love, and one of them that stuck out to me was you know, one of your roles is the importance of asking, you know, what can I do to help, especially with regard to people who with a different experience to you, especially people of marginalized identity and then listening to that answer and acting on it. So I'm curious what an experience was that taught you that rule in the first place or like a, a time when you put that into action and it really, you know, made a difference to your, I don't know, your queer education.
0: Absolutely. So I, so we were working with a group of people that had escaped, um, from Chechnya, Russia, and all other places of the former Soviet Union. And so we just assumed we, so we, my group, the group Voices for and I were working with a group of people called Rusa LGBT who were, who had, um, sought asylum, immigrated, or fled, um, Russia, Chechnya, and the former, former Soviet Union. And we went to them and said, you know, here were voices, here are the things that we can do. How can we best be of service? And they really, really, really surprised us with the answer, which was, they have something called Brighton Beach Pride where um, a lot of Russian speaking people and a lot of people from that area move to New York and then live in Brighton Beach Pride, which is basically like Russian. Like when you get off the subway, everything is in Russian, all the food is Russian, everyone's speaking Russian. And so they're meeting this, the queer people are meeting the same phobias that they met Abroad, but like off Mm. the F train, and so they were like, "What we really need is like tons of publicity and tons of people to show up to Brighton Beach Pride to show the people of Brighton Beach that queer people have American allies." And I was like, "You could have given me, you know, like ten years, and I never would have come up with that."
1: I had no idea that that was a thing that's I mean there's the importance of asking you just never never know what's going on exactly
0: and so and we're and we still do it we've done it every single year since they asked and for us I mean that was a lot easier than like raising money or trying to change a law we just like made a social media campaign and like brought as many kids as we could it was like higher impact and played to our strengths and all we did was ask
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, I think that's such an important point, like playing to your strengths and also your bandwidth. You know, I think a lot of people when they think of, you know, whether it's activism or showing up for other queer people, they their mind might go to a more either time like donating time or money or, you know, resources that they don't have. But it's everyone can do something, you know, it's kind of about being introspective about what your strengths are. Um, and I, I think the book touches on that a lot in a really, a really helpful Thank way. You. I appreciate that. Another thing that comes to mind is on top of asking what we can do to help, I'm I'm curious about your thoughts on how people of you know with more privilege, you know, I think of myself as I'm a yes, I'm queer, but I'm cis and white and you know have a lot to learn. And as much as I want to spend a lot of time asking what I can do to help, I also don't want to like put, you know, more emotional labor on people who are who are dealing with a lot of shit. And so what are what are things we can do like when we have privilege amongst ourselves to discuss how we can help and not put that burden on other people.
0: That's um, I think that's a really, really excellent question. And it's definitely an important um, line and there is no solid line. You know, organizing is inherently chaotic. That's why we call it Mm. organizing because it's disorganized and we have to organize it. And so (laughs) that comes, being able to find that line comes with the trust of being able to show up and having been there, before. And so what I would say is that often information is more easily available to us than we realize. And there will, oh, if you're looking at any issue, there's always going to be an activist who's taken it upon themselves to explain what they need and what they need to do online. And also, I think people really, really forget the power of Google. Like I always say, like, before you ask an activist or an organizer that's different than you, something like google it and see what's going on you know like if they have an event be like how can i show up for this event etc etc and often organizations will have like a get involved page
1: Mm. so i
0: think it's the
1: beauty of the the beauty of the internet
0: (laughs) once once again and always
1: seriously though because so many people just it's it's wild how much information there is out there and how many resources that people often put like fourth for free it's like a wonder we should really tap into it more absolutely but I I would love to finish up um just by asking who you hope finds this book you know when it when it comes out next week it's exciting um who who were you thinking of when you when you were writing
0: I was thinking about any young person that felt alone and I was also thinking about any young person that was trying to grapple with two different identities that they have, whether that be queer and Jewish like mine were, but I was very much hoping that it will speak to the idea of finding beauty and strength within an intersectional identity, no matter what that is.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I I think so much about how we hear you are not alone all the time, but that doesn't, you know, you feel alone sometimes and how can you begin to 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 remedy that when you do? And I love the idea put forward by your book that is it's on people who aren't alone to 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 help and maybe even seek out the people who feel that way because we've we've been there and we know what it's like and we know how hard it is to to break out of that loneliness
0: absolutely
1: so so i really i really think that that your book is going to equip people with the tools that they need to to be there for i don't know whether it's a, i i almost had a younger generation of, of queer people but you know it's this kind of this kind of thing i think is not only about age you know it's it's whenever you come into your identity and come into needing that community um so thank you so much for writing it
0: and that was adam eli talking to our host anna Borges about his book the new queer conscience which is part of the pocket change collective next week she cat martinez joins us to talk about imaginary borders